This is Dollars to Donuts with your host, Steve Portugal. Hi, and welcome to Dollars to Donuts, the podcast where we talk with the people who lead user research in their organization. I'm Steve Portugal. If you are curious about developing your team's user research superpowers, or if you want a partner in discovering and acting on new insights, get in touch at Portugal.com. You can also buy my book, Interviewing Users, from Rosenfeld Media and Amazon. Francis Carandi is a senior manager within the customer experience group at Citrix. In my opinion, she's really someone who is able to think about users, the market, and the business all at the same time. I've known Frances and her dog, Gabby, through many phases of her career, and I admire her for enthusiasm for so many different things, whether it's the Tough Mudder obstacle course or travel or German food. It's my pleasure to welcome her here to Dollars to Donuts. Well, thanks so much for being with us, Frances. I'm looking forward to speaking with you today. Thank you, Steve. So let's just start at, at the high level. Maybe tell us about Citrix, you know, at a broad level and what your role is and what, what that involves. Yeah, great. Um, so uh, Citrix, if you don't know the company, is an enterprise software company. Uh, we create virtualization, uh, device management, and collaboration software. And what that actually means is that, you know, employees can really be mobile and working from anywhere on any device uh, securely. We're most known for um, GoToMeeting, you might have heard of that application, and for providing Windows applications on any endpoint. So that could be a laptop, a thin client, or even a, a Mac or iOS tablet. So I'm a senior manager within the customer experience group, and I lead a team of user researchers who primarily support our application and desktop virtualization products. Does that mean that there are, do you have counterparts that support other products? Yes. So um, I would say in all, we have a maybe two dozen or so uh, user researchers, and we're supporting different business lines in different areas of the product. Um, in addition to that, there's also the customer insights group that we work really closely with, and there's probably about another dozen or so, maybe dozen and a half on that team uh, that we work closely with. So yes, we're aligned to um, different product lines. And so your, how's the size of your team? Four people, uh, and then myself would make, make a fifth. And so for the, is there a specific type of customer for those product lines that you're trying to learn about? Uh, yeah, actually, I would say not just our product line that, that we work on, but most of the enterprise product lines within the full Citrix suite really comes down to three segments that we're often looking at or working with within an organization. And so when we go in and we um, partner with a customer Pretty much it comes down to three types of users that we're, that we're working with. And uh, the first one being the buyer. So who's the buyer within the organization? Typically that tends to be like a C-level or IT executive. Um, so they would be the one signing the check for the, the technology solutions. There's also the IT administrative um, team or staff. And these are the folks that are responsible for, you know, setting up, deploying, and rolling out and maintaining the Citrix products within their organization. We also have what we call the end users, and so that would typically be the employees who are within the organization and accessing their applications or their data really through Citrix. So it's these three segments that we uh, could be focusing on at any one time um, 
But for the most part, a lot of the work that we tend to do, you know, falls towards building out the administrative consoles as well as that end user experience. Um, we also have um, a small team that looks at the end user experience of our products as well. So, so let me just follow up on that a little bit. You're looking at these different users, but you have a focus, your team has a focus on a specific set of products. So I'm wondering how the work that a different team is doing that looks at a different set of products, users and organizations might be dealing with a, a whole range of products from Citrix, but you've, you know, organizationally it's divided up. So I'm wondering if that comes up that, you know, you have the challenge of some of what would be helpful for what you're doing is, you know, falls under the purview of another team. Is that even a, a scenario that you deal with? So I think one of the one of the interesting things that um, Citrix has been able to work through finding the customers and and getting you know sharing customer access. One of the things we've had to look at is you know who the customer base is and where they're coming from. So Citrix has grown via a lot of acquisitions. And so when we bring on a new company, there's that set of customers. And, you know, as we kind of expand and sell more of our other product lines into that customer or vice versa, then it's reaching across, you know, those product teams and lines to to say, hey, you know, are there folks within, you know, your teams or contacts that you have in your organization that we could leverage? But I think it comes down for us finding the right uh, sales or account person that has the connection with the customer that we might want to go do research with. But more often than not, a Citrix customer will have more than one product deployed. So it doesn't tend to be too difficult to find out who has what and to be able to share that contact list. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, well, I think I think it, I like how you framed it because I think there's two aspects here. One is in an organization that has multiple products and multiple individuals having relationships with customers for those products, just from a Citrix point of view, there's a, you know, finding participants issue, which I think you've spoken to, but I'm wondering about the parallel piece, which is just that, you know, you are focused on product A and you are visiting a customer and, you know, there's, there's obviously different ways that you can look at what their experience is. One of those is to restrict it to their use of product A. I can't remember if I had product A now, but but given the way the, the the kinds of work that you're enabling, I'm wondering, and maybe I'm just digging at something that doesn't exist, I'm wondering if, as you're talking about that kind of work, the things that you're going to hear, the opportunities you're going to uncover, or the, you know, the breakdowns that they're struggling with could possibly span multiple products, given the breadth of offerings that you have and the, you know, the, this really large focus on, you know, how work is being done. Um, you know, in, in these different kinds of work contexts, I'm wondering sort of how, how focused your lens is given, you know, how broad the company overall is, is, are you trying to strike a balance between what you're learning and how you can apply it within Citrix? Yeah, I think it depends on the type of research study that we're doing too. So, you know, certainly we have opportunities to go out um, from time to time and actually sit down and visit with our customers and watch their users use our product, whether it's the employee or the administrator or, or, or whatnot. And I think in that case, we're trying to be as 
broad as possible to really understand, you know, what is their workflow? How do they do their work, right? Because a lot of times Citrix is that invisible back end that's enabling them to get access to their apps or data, but they may or may not know that it's actually Citrix running it. And so, you know, when a company deploys a Citrix product, they might click on an icon that, that might be a Citrix icon or that might be hidden. And so I think we have to be very broad in how we probe users and ask how they go about their workflow. And then, you know, on the data capturing end, we're trying to look for, okay, well, what applications are they using? What are they experiencing? How's their work set up? Um, and really come back and share that broadly within the organization, because um, you're right, you know, something that we find, we might find out about a user's workflow could apply to not just our immediate product line, but other products that Citrix has. So I think it's a matter of uh, trying to be as broad as possible and comprehensive when we report that that story or that, that set of findings back. However, when we're doing more narrow, I, I guess you could say more narrowly focused uh, release research or we're trying to uh, do usability testing on a particular workflow, uh, that tends not to extend so much in those cases unless, you know, either we specifically probe for that or, or the customer administrator brings it up, for example. That help. That helps. That's great. So, are there what's in place inside your organization culturally or process wise for that first example where you are going to share things to the broad audience that can make use of them? How does that happen? So we have a couple of opportunities that we've created um, to share research within our the customer broader customer experience organization, and one of that is like a weekly sharing session. So anybody in the customer experience organization can come together, and we'll feature um, you know highlight a project or a talk or a topic. And so there's that opportunity. We also um, have a meeting specifically for research and customer insights that we hold once a month as well, and that's just yet another opportunity to maybe take a look at it from more. A research angle or a techniques or approach, or we might bring a research question to share with the others um, and get feedback on. Uh, so there's several different avenues. And then there's all hands meetings that we that we hold on a monthly basis as well for the broader organization. Uh, so there's quite a few opportunities if you want to, you know, make your the results of your work available um, within the customer experience organization, and of course beyond that to product teams and engineering teams that, that we work with on a regular basis. So it's right. usually those those opportunities where you know if we haven't if someone hasn't reached out to us that wants you know more details on our research or would like to be part of that you know we'll find out then um, if we haven't identified them as part of that process to begin with. So those folks that express interest they could be outside. I mean, you're supporting specific product groups or specific teams with what your 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 main um, assignment is, but. You know, through these kinds of sharing sessions, you may end up engaging with people you know, outside that. Right. I think I think maybe one clarification that might help uh, with that is going back to the portfolio of products that Citrix has. They have been acquired and be you know have been intended to complement each other. So it's really looking at the portfolio from a solution set. So very you know a lot of times we support the products and apps and desktop, but a lot of times our customers are running Netscalers, which is on the networking side of our business. And so you know having a customer deploy multiple products inherently means that there's you know a shared 
in, in many cases, a shared customer segment there or, or base, and that we're going to hear feedback about other products just because that's so critical to setting up and deploying an environment and making sure that these products talk and work together correctly is part of the setup process to begin with. So inevitably, we're going to get feedback on other products, and it's just a matter of either sharing that broadly and or reaching out specifically to teams to say, you know, look, we did this research and they you know, mentioned some things about the product or here you might want to take a look at this a little bit further. So we'll be proactive about that um, in addition to just sharing it broadly and, and see, you know, who else might be interested or how they might want to take that research forward and adapt it to whatever objective they have as well. I can see that creating something quite charming about, uh, you know, how, how this process of how talking to customers can help the company. If I'm, you know, someone that's, you know, on a product team and I have a group assigned to me who's my go-to research people, but I'm interacting with all kinds of other research groups based on other things that they're learning. To me, it starts to suggest, uh, you know, uh, I'm waving my hands to show some kind of network diagram where stories about how people are using things are flowing in a lot of different directions. Because you started off, you started off describing something, you know, sort of deliberate and structured. But as you are sort of revealing more about how it works, it seems like the this multi-directional sharing is a is a kind of a I guess I call I'll call it a cultural element of how you guys are using insights at Citrix. Yes, and I think we have to uh, for a number of reasons. So maps, journey maps are one area that we've invested in as well, journey mapping the customer experience um, and what that means from you know the onset, for example, of even before they've purchased a Citrix product all the way through setup and deployment and then how customers stay on and advocate for products longer than that. So we've taken a look at a very, very broad perspective of you know, not just looking at it from one product line, but what is that customer experience from really from start, you know, to finish if there is a finish. And then, so that's become one way to communicate the intersection of how our products come together and not just Citrix products, but also other technology products that they have to deploy to set that ecosystem up. Um, So maps and visuals are a great way to do that. Uh, The other purpose that that serves in illustrating and mapping out visually how the products intersect is that I, I think Citrix and a lot of enterprise software uh, is really, you know, sophisticated or complex, uh, you know, so to speak. And there's a lot of different moving parts that have to come together to make that work. And for us coming into user experience or the customer experience group, a lot of us don't have that technical background, right, that our engineers do or someone who's a subject matter expert in networking does where, you know, they speak and they code and they write this and they sell this all the time. And so one of the things that we've had to really focus on and think about is, well, when a user experience person comes into Citrix, how do we onboard them so that they, you know, have some level of understanding about the product um, that, for example, as researchers, we can have a useful conversation with our our user base or customers or partners and be able to facilitate the kind of research that we do, but then also be able to go back and work with product and engineering and suggest really, really help effectively shape you know, recommendations and product enhancements. So we have to have some level of at least conceptual product knowledge. And that's where visualizing and mapping and journey mapping and um, diagramming um, and working with our designers has helped tremendously. I think that, you know, you can read a hundred page technical, uh, you know, write up and white paper on, on how the technology works. But if you can get a designer to map that out, you know, that picture is a thousand words. It, it is so much easier. 
for the, and you're talking now about onboarding other researchers. Yes, I am. But I, I was also talking about how, you know, diagrams and maps become a really important output for our research, but then they also become a communication tool uh, in in teaching others about how the products work and, and how that comes together. So I think visualizations and visual diagrams, you know, take on definitely multi-layered meanings here. That's, that's really interesting. And so you've, you've alluded to a couple of different kinds of projects, you know, something more evaluative like usability testing, which I think was tied to uh, a release cycle. And then you describe this, you know, looking at workflow, maybe more generative are there other kinds of projects and sort of what's the overall mix of, of, of work that you're doing look like? I would say we do a mix of, I guess, generative, evaluative, summative work. And, and at any one point we might be emphasizing, you know, we might be having uh, projects in, in any one of those categories or depending on where we are in the release cycle, emphasizing one over another. I would say, you know, the generative work, let's say ideation, a lot of the customer visit work, a lot of the sort of the, you know, stepping in and let's just understand the problem space or how our customers use our product in a very broad sense. You know, maybe for end users, how are they using, um, how are they adopting, you know, tablets within their organization and what's their bring your own device policy, for example. Some of the some of those questions that we explore, you know, there tends to be, I would say maybe 20 to 30 percent of our work goes in that bucket. Then there is, as we move through and work towards, you know, release deadlines, there's a fair amount of evaluative work that has to happen too, because again, you know, when you launch and release an enterprise software product, it's, it's typically, at least in our case, uh, while we do have some SaaS and, and cloud-based uh, services for the install software product, that tends to be a longer product cycle and also a lot of different screens and components that could make up the product itself. So a lot of sub-components and a lot of testing and design enhancements go into that work. So there's a fair amount of work that goes into that piece. And I would say that tends to be at any given point, maybe 60% of the work that we do, 50-60. And then um, we're also looking at, uh, been more recently, how do we measure the impact of our releases? And so how do we measure the user experience and the uh, experience enhancements that we've made to the product? So we're also looking at ways to survey and benchmark based on some of the customer experience dimensions that that we would like to be able to measure ourselves on and ensure that, you know, release over release, we're actually building and building and testing a better product. And that's reflected in our, in our customer sentiments, of course. Right. Do you have a a roadmap or some, some plan that says, here's what we're going to be working on for the next period X in time? You know, we'll typically look at um, the year out ahead and coordinate with um, the release managers, product and engineering to understand what the what the timelines and the drops are for, let's say, design lockdown or code lockdown. And if we're doing uh, release related research work, then we need to you know work backwards and identify the windows of opportunity that we can do testing, for example, or, or do earlier research. And so there's a stream of research that we do that maps to the product release and you know, we have uh, input into that checkpoint process. 
um, which is great. Um, but then there's also a stream of research, and this tends to be the broader themes or bigger pillars that we want to go and address that might span multiple releases. And so if we want to look at a bigger topic um, a little bit more in depth, then that can be done you know, in parallel to release research. And so uh, we take the opportunity to, to do both types and make sure that we're resourcing in both areas so that we're not just looking at the release ahead, but we're also looking like, you know, how can we, how can we solve, let's say, a broader opportunity for our customers or do the necessary uh, generative research and, and fit that into the timeline. So I would say we have a fair idea a year out of what's coming, but then we also sort of, we have a closer view of the next couple of quarters, and then we, we tend to tweak from there. And how do you think about, within your team, uh, you know, applying resources to the different things that you're planning for? That's a great question. I think it comes down to a couple of different um, factors and having, you know, grown our research team in this area over the, I guess, last year and a half. I've, I've done a lot of thinking about this, and I think it comes down to, you know, I'm mapping uh, the researchers' um, experience level and where they want to focus on in terms of growing their skills to the opportunity. So where do I see need to maybe uh, dive into a specific skill area, for example? And then also there's an aspect of not just in terms of research methods and techniques and, and mapping that to the right level and giving folks the opportunity to grow from a research perspective, but also the, the product knowledge as well. And so um, when I think about uh, aligning folks to the different types of projects, I'm trying to think about, well, will this expand their, their level of knowledge about working with customers, getting to know the audience, getting you know, familiar uh, with the technique, but also you know, how much product knowledge do they have now? And could this be a way to introduce them to different aspects of the product um, so that they can take on a bigger, more strategic project the next time around? Um, so I think, you know, as I mentioned before, one of the areas that we want to look at carefully is how do we um, get, you know, non-technical folks up to speed on a technical product. And I think that that comes in a variety of ways. I mean, you can certainly do online training and go through courses that, that we provide to do that. But I think some of it's also exposing them to the right project at the right time um, in a way that, you know, they will learn via way of speaking with customers and partners themselves and, um, picking up on, you know, how our products are used in our customers' organizations. So it's a mix of probably those two factors. And then I guess there, there would be a third, of course, and very important is, you know, aligning it with the business strategy. So what is, you know, what is our, uh, what's our strategy and our goal and our mission for the year going to be? And how do we make sure that we're focusing on the right business questions and the projects that line up to that so we can start to, to move the needle you know, in addressing those questions and accomplishing, you know, as a company, what we're trying to accomplish. And so you said you've been thinking about this for, you know, the last year and a half with this team. And I'm wondering, you know, if you can describe the team's evolution or, you know, how you think about the kinds of folks and the kinds of skills that you need to have on, on a team like this. When I look at, you know, the types of skills that, that we need, I look for a couple of things. Is there an aptitude, of course, to want to solve complex problems and really dive deep into a space and work on something that might seem intimidating, you know, at first? You know, certainly uh, when I first came here, 
I was looking, you know, I remember one of the first conversations I was listening uh, to that a researcher was doing with uh, one of our customers. And uh, this person was a Windows IT administrator. And they had, they rattled off so many terms uh, that I'd never heard of or not paid attention to. And, and I know, you know, if you're a Microsoft uh, system administrator, you would know what what some of these terms means, but I didn't. And it just took that time to want to be able to go do the extra work to look up what that meant and go ask questions. And again, you know, leverage the folks internally to say, please explain this to me. I don't understand it. And, you know, why is it important that we're providing this capability, for example, and what do I need to know and understand about it so I can ask the right questions? Um, But when I look at bringing folks on the team, it is, you know, A, do they want to solve complex problems? And is that something that interests them? It's also, too, I look for critical thinking, and critical thinking is core to our work, right? We're always knee-deep in, in analyzing the data and figuring out, you know, what's going to be our approach to answering the questions and how do we want to highlight the most, the most relevant insights. So, you know, working with the constraints that we might have and, and trying to figure out how do you do your best research work within that. And then I think, too, I'm also looking for folks that have an intuitive sense of data, how data and methods and tools are used. Sampling, for example, all of these, all of these things become really important when you're trying to identify the right method to use, uh, the right question to, to answer, number one, number two, the right method to use, and then how do you go about doing that? So really, even if I come across a, a researcher interviewing for a, a role that may not require a lot of experience quite yet or maybe out of college, I'm still listening for that intuitive sense to know, here are the conclusions that you can draw from this information, and here's what you can't conclude, right? Um, so that how they think about the, the question and how they think about um, the data becomes really important. And then I think, too, you know, along with wanting to solve complex uh, problem spaces is really always looking for that passion. And so, you know, I, that what you might call sort of the fire in the belly, I think is really, really important. Um, You know, we all want to be doing work that we love to do. And I think that's not any different when it comes to research, really having that fire in the belly to to go after and go beyond, let's say, what uh, the scope of the work is and really wanting to push themselves to learn more and be able to share that um, back with the organization. And I think you know, that fire in the belly, I think, you know, is, is uh, a little bit more elusive sometimes. I think it's sometimes the hardest to find because it's really personal and it's intrinsic to individuals, right? I mean, but then, you know, when you see that motivation and you see someone come in and light up and talk about the work that they do and, and you know, why they're energized by it and how excited they were to solve that problem, I mean, that becomes really, really valuable because I think that also is that sustainer for, you know, working through more, more complex problem sets, you know, being able to put in the extra work to make sure that, you know, you're going to get the results and impact from the work that you do. And, and I think that makes a huge difference. Yeah. I, I want to just reflect back on one, you said many great things, but one thing that struck me was kind of characterizing a researcher as someone who solves complex problems. I, I love that definition. And it makes me think about people that I meet, and I'm sure you've had this experience as well, who are interested in research but don't have any experience, but they find it compelling and they, they're interested in, in growing their skills there. Usually people in that, in that stage of their life tell me that they're curious, they're interested in people, you know, that it's sort of a hunger for, for learning and gaining information and observing. Uh, I've never heard it characterized as solving problems, let alone solving complex problems, which is much more, that's much more of an action word than kind of learning or discovering or understanding. It's about doing something with it. 
I just love hearing you frame it that way. It gets me kind of excited about thinking, what is it that we do? And checking myself, like, is that what I do? Am I solving problems? So it's a great, it's a great frame on it. I, I guess, I guess I would say to that, you know, you know, design and design goes hand in hand with research is about solving complex problems. And in, in depending on, on, the maturity level of UX in an organization, typically, you know, most companies today have some design function, or you, at least around here, you don't come across too many companies that do not have that, um, even even in startups, right? And I think, you know, the first level is is really looking at, well, how can we improve the interface, right? Um, but I think as you expand that to think about, well, how do we improve, okay, not just the UI or the screen, but also the product itself. And in our case, you know, documentation and the information experience is as much a critical part of how a user learns and absorbs and and, uh, manages our product. That becomes really important. And then beyond that, you know, you can develop and ship a product, but you have to understand how that connection happens to the, the marketing and education of that product in the first place. And then, you know, how do you tie those research and insights back to what happens when, you know, customer experiences something unexpected in your product or, you know, and how, how do they go about resolving that, right? And really thinking about that end-to-end experience and journey. So when you really think about launching a product, there's so many different factors that contribute it that contribute to its success. And I think you really have to know where those touch points are within the organization and make sure that your research um, identifies and is relevant to those groups that might take advantage of that. So, you know, what we're learning about our, our customers, let's say in a usability session or an on-site visit could be, you know, very relevant to our product marketing teams or maybe how we want to position that on the website. Um, so I think, you know, it does become a complex problem because shipping, especially shipping an enterprise software product, it requires a lot of teams to put that together. And I think you really have to understand how the business operates and how you go to market to uh, to really understand the value that the research and insights that you're getting from our customers could could really benefit um, so many different areas of of the company and how that entire product experience comes together. So I guess it's complex on on different levels. Um, not to mention that it's um, you know very sophisticated technology as well. Can you step back a little bit and, and describe some of the history within Citrix of, I guess, customer experience and user research specifically? Because you're, you're, you're describing a fairly rigorous and, and big picture view of what everyone is doing together. And I wonder sort of what the history of that is or the genesis of it has been. Yeah, um, great, great question. So research and uh, the history at, at Citrix is, I think, is a very very fascinating story. So we have um, our our, uh, senior vice president, our SVP of customer experience, uh, her name's Catherine Courage. Um, She joined the company, I believe it was 2009, and she came on as a a VP of design. And at the time, um, there was a fairly small group of designers and maybe one or two researchers that were uh, working out of our, our Florida offices. And for a couple of years, they had been really focused on uh, UI, icon design, you know, usability test here or there. But you know, she was brought on to really uh, expand the role of design within within the company, and to provide that roadmap for you know how can Citrix bring design to the forefront so that we can differentiate ourselves from competitors and really shift the way products are developed 
so that we're building better products and we're building better product experiences around that. And I think what's really interesting is that Catherine has a research background. You know, her, her career early on was doing research. So I think she intuitively and, and, you know, from experience knew how important that was to developing, you know, great products that, that people love, even if they are more technical. But I think, you know, it starts with that understanding of, you know, deep understanding and empathy of, of your customers and how they do their work. She really uh, got backing to put a lot of the executives and leadership through Stanford's D-School, the design, the boot camp. And that was very instrumental because that really exposed them to design thinking and the power that that could bring into, you know, creating products and services that your customers are going to want to buy and really love. And then from there, it just kind of cascaded and blew open the doors for everybody, almost everybody in the organization has either heard about or gone through um, some level of design thinking workshop and training themselves. And so I also made the point that, you know, it's not just the product design related folks or product management or engineering or folks that touch product development that have gone through the training, but it's actually been pockets of the organization like finance, like facilities, um, operations, groups that you would never necessarily expect uh, in other teams that you would never necessarily expect in, you know, in a company to really want to understand and embrace this as a mindset. But that's been really amazing because what that did was also bring uh, a design thinking approach to internal projects, or let's say if you are on the education team and you know you want to redesign how we deliver uh, video training to folks, right? I mean, now you know that team that might have gone through that training now knows to say, hey, let's start with the users and I, you know identify what are the pluses and minuses of how it works today, and I think really you know understand their needs and, and go from there. So there's been a lot of not just product design focus in terms of how we how we can. Uh, bring a research and user approach to that, but also um, other non-product areas as well. And so that that's really led to a cultural mindset shift and and really kind of changing uh, the DNA of the culture to really embrace embrace design and really have you know have folks and teams across the organization have a shared understanding of what that means and even how to practice that. So if I'm in an organization that doesn't champion research, as people sometimes say, what would you tell me to take away from the the Citrix story that could help me? I think that, um, you know, thinking about how you start with the customer and empathize with the customer first or user in this case, it may not be a customer, you know, is something that it's a, it's a mindset shift. And I think that that philosophy can be can be shared and taught with others, right? And so, you know, if getting research for a particular product or project is not uh, creating the strides that you want, then, um, you know, find ways to introduce the concepts or the approach and that mindset to, to the folks that may not have bought into that, right? And so I think for that, you know, there's always, you know, projects going on around the organization or maybe some that you're part of that, you know, that maybe you could apply that approach to and say, hey, let me help you solve this problem. And um, let me show you some techniques that I've used to, to really think through that problem space and create a workshop or, or you know, figure out how you can teach the process as well as, you know, maybe help them achieve results through that. 
Um, so I think I think the approach, you know, the mindset there is that you know it was really eye opening to see that folks across the organization really embraced that, and they said, "Wow, you know, design thinking, I get it. I can interview my counterpart next to me and ask them, you know, what challenges do they have going about their day or using their phone?" And that's not something that only researchers have to do. And so I think proving that out in practice and showing by example uh, can be a really powerful way to change somebody's mind. So, so it, it makes me think of sort of a, a bigger, sort of more abstract question, but what does research do this? I mean, we're talking about research, but of course we're talking about much, much more. Uh, you've hit on, you know, design and culture change and teaching and making products and shipping products. Uh, but we're sort of starting, you know, in this conversation anyway, with, with, you know, our ground zero is research, I guess, just to throw it to you in, in the big picture. What do you think that, what does research do for a company? What, what is it and what it's, What's its benefit? Mm -hmm. Um, The first thing that we have to do is really try and understand, you know, uh, put a lot of time and thought into extracting what those key objectives are and helping people understand, hey, um, you know, when we go to research the problem and finding out the problem, we might want to go a little bit broader in scope, for example, um, and just see what we find. And so there's that aspect of research that helps shape the direction of, of how you go about solving the problem. Then I think as researchers, too, um, you know, we have to be thoughtful about, well, what methods and techniques are we going to select to best get to that, that answer? And what type of data could best answer that question or combination of methods and techniques? And so that's where we uh, may collaborate with other uh, non-researchers in that process, of course, and, and keep them moving along with us. But that's really sort of where the researcher skill comes in and says, well, I'm going to try, you know, X, Y, Z techniques and maybe um, make sure that I align with certain parts of the organization to for that to come together. And so then I think in a broader sense that that's part of what we do. And I think, again, the role of research is to, um, as we're going out and, and speaking with our, our user base or customers, um, to really be sensitive to not just the immediate questions at hand that we're trying to ultimately address and answer for the business, but also um, pay attention and, very, and listen very closely to what your customer or user is saying. Because oftentimes, you know, they'll reveal something that you had never thought, you know, to ask. And so it's being sort of patient and open and being flexible in some way to to really get more than what you came in asking for. Um, And then I think our role has a lot to do with curation. So, you know, we often come back with, you know, scores of data or or really interesting stories and, and information about our customers on any given topic. But yet that's a lot of information for our stakeholders and our audience to hear. And so we have to be thoughtful about going through that, you know, synthesizing the information and really, you know, curating it for your audience. And so there is definitely a heavy aspect on communications there that I think is a large part of what we do that I don't think maybe I would say, uh, you know, I I don't remember that being a course in my graduate studies, for example, right? So I think that's one of the things that when you come into an organization, you get your first few projects or it's your first job, you immediately find out that, hey, I learned all these techniques. I can do a usability test and I can do, you know, I can, you know, launch a survey because I learned it in school or I did it before. And then, you know, depending on what you do with that information, what you do that with that results makes all the difference. So that research can go somewhere everywhere or nowhere. And I think one of the things that you have to sort of learn sometimes the hard way is really kind of, you know, how do I make sure that that I um, select 
first of all, that I identify what the insights are, because I think insights are different than findings necessarily, you know, on some level. And then being able to communicate that in a very compelling way that, that gets your audience's attention and is really relevant for them. And so you have to be, you know, thoughtful about, well, okay, I did all this great work, but how I share it with, um, you know, what I choose to select to, let's say, share with the marketing team might be different than what I share with the engineering team, um, or at least take a different spin or angle on that. And I think, you know, as you get into the details of the work or what customers did or what they were um, experiencing, you know, your conversation with the designer might be very different than uh, your VP of product development, for example. So being able to be flexible and adaptable to how you um, think about what's relevant for your audience is, is super important. I think my view of what research does in an organization is, you know, our role is really to bring the market and the customer perspective into the business. And I know that sounds very broad. We do that, you know, via a number of techniques and approaches. Um, But I think we also have to have alignment and a voice with the other parts of the organization that also have access to customer feedback and data and really think through what does this mean from a business intelligence perspective. A lot of folks within the organization talk to customers and they have their perspective and approach. And I think we also add something to the mix too, especially when it comes to interpreting that for, let's say, product design. But I think our role is to really inform the business strategy, product development, service development, whatever your company is. Is, is providing its its customers. I think it becomes really important because, you know, as you you and I know, we do research and we talk to customers and we find out what's really important to them. If you're not doing that as part of your business charter or strategy, then you certainly run the risk of, you know, developing products that don't ultimately or fully meet customer needs. And then from there, you know, that could lead to eventual, you know, erosion in your market leadership position, for example, or, or you know, healthy growth over time. So I think it's really important that 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 this becomes a fundamental part, a fundamental part of how you market and launch and build products. I like how you've kind of you kind of ping pong back and forth between, you know, looking at research from as an organizational function and looking at it. At an, as an individual's almost a way of being, I think, uh, professionally. So you've talked about the researcher and kind of the, the business action of research. And uh, it seems I mean, you've kind of blurred them and, you know, you've, you've articulated a lot about both. But I like that your answer kind of encompasses both the individual who brings this thing and then the thing and what it does for the organization. And I, I guess it makes me want to ask you, you know, you as someone who who lives the life of a researcher who brings that to the, their world and their work, and I wonder if there's something about you that you know is your way of being or in your background that just what do you think makes you great about what you do? <laughs> um, I think it's the variety of positions and roles that I've had in my career, and the fact that I've worked across you know, a number of different industries and domains. And, you know, early on, um, it was not in a UX capacity at all. So, you know, just sort of my my own trajectory, I went to art school and I always wanted to go to art school and 
ended up going and majoring in illustration, getting a BFA, because uh, that's what I had had my heart set on for, for years and years, ever since I was in grade school. And I did that. And at the end of that four years, I realized, well, I don't exactly want to do illustration. I definitely don't want to be living paycheck to paycheck as a, a freelancer. And, you know, I think in some ways I didn't know how to pitch and market myself. They definitely did not have any marketing courses as part of the program at the time, except for here's how you put a portfolio together. But that's not enough. I think, you know, there's a lot more to the sales and branding aspects that I think, uh, you know, I certainly didn't know back then. And so coming out of that, I had actually stepped into uh, the hospitality industry just kind of by accident. And I think it was, you know, over, over, I spent a number of years in hospitality. And from there, I went to magazine publications. And these were a variety of customer service oriented functions, also sales and catering and, and event planning, and then moving on to publications where I was in marketing roles. And then design had always been a, a sort of siren to me, but I couldn't quite, I didn't know where my niche was. And I eventually had this calling to come back to say, well, I want to get back to design in some capacity. And um, I don't think that I want to be a sales executive for, you know, a hotel chain. So I, I thought to myself, well, how do I get back in design? And let me just figure that out. And I think I want to go to business school as well, um, because I, I've done so many different types of roles and worked in different types of departments and functions in companies. That was very interesting to me. So I've always taken sort of a horizontal, in some ways, a horizontal approach to the work that I do and really learning and understanding and empathizing with folks across the other teams that you work with. So I think that's probably just how I approach my work naturally. And then so I discovered this field. Someone told me about human factors and I thought, well, I'm not sure what that is, but I'll go check it out. And, you know, it seemed to make sense. Now here was a way that I could apply my sort of quote unquote customer service background to and marry that with design. And so that, that really uh, led me to you know, quit my job, and I went back to graduate school and got a human factors degree and, and a business degree as well. That always seemed like the right choice to do, because I thought to myself, you know, even if you're um, influencing the design of a product, you ultimately can't do that with understanding how the business functions. So how does the business take a product to market in the first place? How do they develop it? You know, how do they sustain that? How do they grow the business? Why is that important? You know, even though you might be working on one product line or an aspect of a product, it doesn't matter. All of these functions need to happen for the business to be successful and for your product to be successful. So the more you understand and have insight into how those processes and, and organizations work, I think that becomes really important in your role as a researcher because now you understand, well, who do I need to go uh, talk to within the organization who needs to see the research and and what you know what can we do about it you know collectively I think that's really just a product of my approach and kind of growing up in my career and taking on jobs that I thought were really fun and interesting but weren't necessarily always on a UX path but I guess in retrospective it was it's a great it's a great story it's a great story and it's obviously going to continue to be written as you go on to do other Amazing things. Just, just thinking, looking at our time here, I think we should probably try to wrap up. But I wonder if there's something that uh, I should have asked you about that I didn't. You know, you asked the question, how does leadership, you know, how do you get leadership support? And, you know, I feel like most of the time we already have that leadership support. It's just a matter of directing it in the right 
in the right way, right? And just, you know, checking back with stakeholders, making sure that everybody's aligned with, you know, the objectives, the opportunities, and that we're doing the right, pro- you know, we're doing the right research to align to those projects. Um, and, and for the most part, not a lot of resistance in that way. But I was thinking about that question because I thought, wow, well, where have I encountered resistance before in the past? And, you know, what was my approach and take on it? And, you know, I think one of the things that folks don't don't want to hear sometimes is that it may not be the right time for your project. And, you know, when I look back on some of those projects where I really wanted to get that research done right at that time, this was the right thing to do. And, you know, we've got a product launch coming up and this is, you know, the approach that I've laid out and we really should do this study first, then this one and this one, and we're going to put it all together. and It's going to tell a great story. and It's going to answer all your questions, right? I think, you know, as researchers, we tend to get excited about, yes, exactly. This is the right way to, to go about it. And sometimes, you know, when you don't get that, uh, funding and support right away, you know, it, it's like, oh, wow, well, I, I knew it was the right thing to do. And I think what I've learned over the years, too, is that sometimes, you know, that could actually be a blessing, right? And that, you know, there really is a right time. Timing is everything. And, you know, I think one of the, one of the responses to that question was really, you know, you, sometimes you just have to be patient. And getting support for your research is not just about your conviction and your timeline for doing that, but really have to understand what the competing priorities are and be sensitive to that and understand that. But I also think that, you know, you want to plant that seed regardless, because there will come a time where that research is still relevant and there's still an opportunity to do that. And even if you have to wait a couple months or a year, the research need is still there. It's going to be obvious and it's going to come to a point where others can't ignore it. And that's usually the right time that you can go in and pitch it yet once again. And I think I've also learned over the years that, you know, organizations shift you know, there's a lot of organic growth or projects change, people change in their roles. And, and really sometimes, you know, that timing or that confluence of events coming up is, could really be set you up for even more success. Whereas, you know, maybe six months before it just wasn't the time and, you know, you couldn't get the budget for it. So I thought, I don't know if anybody's ever, you know, reflected on that before, but I, when I think about, and that's a question for you, Steve, like, as you hear about, you know, these sort of common questions, it's like, yeah, we'll create a better pitch deck or or something. I think sometimes you really have to kind of assess what's going on in the organization and, and wait for the right time and, and also socialize it with as many people as you can as well, even if you don't sell it the first time around, you know, at some point someone's going to turn around and say, Hey, you know, it would be a great idea if we could do this. And you're thinking, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's even better when it comes back and it's uh, it's not attributed to you as your idea. Someone else recommends it. So. That's the best because that's when, right. you know, you know you can you personally, you know, pitched it a long time ago and it was maybe been your you know, it certainly could have been your idea and you can take the credit for it, but actually, you know, that's not the end game. The end game is success, right? The the, the success of of that the research and the results and the impact that it has on on the, the product or business. And, and if you've got a, a champion and a sponsor that, you know, is willing to put that forth and they think it's their idea, by all, by all means, it's going to go farther. All right. Well, let's, I think it's time to wrap up. So Francis, thanks so much for your time and, uh, you know, all your great stories and examples. I think it's really just super helpful and really interesting stuff for everybody. So thank you again. Well, thank you, Steve, for the opportunity. Really uh, a pleasure to speak with you, as always. And um, yeah, look forward to uh, more opportunities for that. Great. Thanks again. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Dollars to Donuts. And thank you to everyone that helped me put this together. You can get links about this episode, listen to other episodes, subscribe to the podcast, and read the transcripts at portugal.com slash series slash dollars to donuts. And you can buy my book, Interviewing Users, from Amazon or from Rosenfeld Media. Get in touch with me at portugal.com to start exploring how we can work together. 